you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. The Around the League Podcast. Didn't come here to make friends. Welcome back to another edition of the Around the League Podcast. My name is Dan Hansis, joined by a room full of heroes, Mark Sessler, Chris Wesseling, and Greg Rosenthal, the boss. What's up, boys? What is happening? How are you? Uh, how are Yo, you? I love that I love that intro. Thank you to Matt Money Smith, who we didn't give credit to uh, last week for voicing that introduction, and it's just fantastic. He actually gets $1.3 million in royalties for every time <laughs> we use it, so I think he should be thanking us, you know? <laughs> The regular season is fast approaching uh, today, Monday. Greg, we're going to start with you. What are the top headlines? I think you got to start with A.J. Jenkins, the trade to Kansas City. Jonathan Baldwin going to San Francisco. Maybe not making the biggest football impact, but it's interesting. How often do we see two first-round picks traded for each other, basically just in a challenge trade? Um, I think my guy's better than your guy. Right, I don't remember anything like this. Especially, didn't they play against each other the other night, too? Yeah, they did. They saw Jonathan Baldwin just mangle a pass over the middle, <laughs> and yet they still tried to acquire him. As he is wont to do. It is funny to imagine these two GMs calling up each other and you know, kind of moaning to each other about what a mess they have in these first-round picks and like, hey, do you want my guy? Do you want my guy? It's almost so clean to imagine that it, this could happen, but it is. And now it kind of makes sense, though. I mean, what, are the either si- what does either side have to lose? You take on guy, two guys that have, I guess, good measurables but haven't shown anything, and now they get a, at least one more chance to start over. I'd like to know who actually picked up the phone first. <laughs> I, would, I would guess Kansas City, though, because I think they are just completely done with Baldwin. And I, I don't know. For me, I think the 49ers get a little bit more of an edge in the trade, but it is a complete wash on some level. Well, I, would be, I wouldn't be surprised if neither made the team. Well, A.J. Jenkins doesn't have any production in the NFL. Jonathan Baldwin, we've seen make a few plays. He's actually guaranteed money this year, I think a million dollars. I think he could play for that team just because they don't have anyone at wide receiver. And we're seeing Chad Hall lining up with the starters the other night. Maybe Baldwin plays and uh, Jim, Jim Harbaugh you know, sprinkles his magic offensive dust that seems to work on some of those players. I would look at it the other way. We've seen John Baldwin play a lot of games, and we know he's not good. We know he's kind of a bum. He can't get off the jam. He has bad hands. He's slow after the catch. We haven't seen A.J. Jenkins play. Maybe there's something there. It is a little strange to me, though. Uh, and, you know, by trading Jenkins away, it's an admission of failure on some level by the Niners. For a team that has... Harbaugh entrenched up top, and they've made so many good decisions that they could have missed so badly on that. It's, it's really surprising how See, that played out. What's interesting about them, though, is they are so confident. They have the most confident yeah. coaching staff and the most confident front office, and if they make a mistake, they don't worry about what the rest of the league thinks. They just move on. It reminds me of the Patriots. I think they do one thing they do really well is self-scouting, and they make as many mistakes almost as anyone, but when they make a mistake, they just give up on it right away, and they cut the guy. So well, I and, like as, that. and as clean as the Niners are draft-wise, they've made a lot of savvy moves. It, it's such an imperfect process that it's, it's good to see, or it's refreshing to see San Francisco just basically say, 
We're moving on. We're washing our hands of it. You look perfect today, Mark. Thank you. I've <laughs> rested. I slept till mid-morning. Yeah, yeah, you look great. Chris Wesseling had the Mark Sessler appreciation shift today with me. You're, <laughs> it you're was in a, at 4.45 in the morning. It was a rough morning. I attempted to go to sleep at 8 o'clock last night. It didn't come close it's to It's tough happening. to shift into that schedule. I apologize, Wes. <laughs> All so, right, Greg, what else is going on? We got Rob Gunkowski. some news that he's doubtful for week one, which isn't a big surprise. It's, it's his back. It's his arm. It's a little bit of everything. Uh, but we haven't heard a lot about Gronkowski, you know, this preseason at all. Now, now we know for sure. I mean, I think with the Patriots, were we expecting him on any level to play Week One? No, no. I mean, I don't know if we're going to see him for all of September. At this point, it doesn't sound like he's close. Uh, we also learned Blaine Gabbert is out for the rest of the preseason. We'll talk um, about him upcoming in our AFC South preview a little later in the show. But he's going to be get the, excited. He's going to be the starter of the team. But he's going to miss the rest of the preseason. So they announced Chad Henney lose that job. Not a surprise there. Uh, we learned that Alex Barron does not really like football. <laughs> <laughs> the general manager uh, of the St. Louis Rams just a few years back, Billy Devaney, uh, said on his uh, ESPN show today that Alex Barron, um, really the only thing li- he likes about football is getting paid, that he doesn't like, he doesn't have the heart to play football and basically, that's your starting left tackle, Oakland Raiders. I find it interesting that this is the same GM that then drafted Jason Smith out of Baylor in 2009. So maybe he's not the greatest judge of character for left tackles who love football. Don't forget the Raiders also have Andre Garrod just signed off the street. So Garrod and Barron haven't played since 2010. This offensive line is starting to take <laughs> on the look of like a early 90s sports comedy film. <laughs> like with Ving Rhames as Alex Barron and, and Eamon Walker as Andre Garreau. I see like Who's a... Eamon Walker? <laughs> he played uh, Howlin' Wolf in Cadillac Records. Big, see, big six foot six guy. I see it like a weekend at Bernie's too where they have all the linemen tied together and they're just like trying to keep them all upright. Who was, well, it looks uh, like it Saturday night. Is Amy Trask still in the front office? Can Kathy Ireland play her? No, she is, <laughs> she is gone. But, yeah, five sacks in the first half against uh, – Poor Matt Flynn. Yeah, Jeez. Matt Flynn. You want to be the starter, huh, buddy? Uh, and then staying with the offensive line, big trade today. John Moffitt of the Seahawks, formerly of the Seahawks, traded to your Cleveland Browns. We probably wouldn't mention this, but it is a, a Browns trade there, Sessler. So do you feel like now – you know, they're getting it back together. They got a starter from the Seahawks. It's sort of the final piece in the puzzle. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, by the way, speaking of the Browns, Mark Sessler in our, our last podcast, when we did a swing around the AFC North in our preview, Mark, despite being a Browns fan, he dropped a 4-12 and on the Browns. And I guess upon some reflection, uh, there's been a decision to maybe change that pick. So Mark has what I understand to be a prepared statement he'd like to read on the Around the League podcast. I would like to read it. I know this drives Greg nuts because he wanted our picks to be etched in stone, but that's not how life Are you going to read off your I'm gonna phone? I'm going to read the thing. I Here was hoping you were going to read off a piece of paper. I had it on a piece of paper, Yeah. and uh, it was soiled by a spilled coffee. So all right, okay. It takes a little... All right, go ahead. <clears throat> here we go. All right, on behalf of myself, I would like to apologize to the Cleveland Browns. <laughs> In a uh, rush of judgment last week during our AFC North preview, I called Cleveland a 4-12 and operation. It is my sincere belief the team will eclipse four wins this season, and I have revised my prediction for the 2013 Browns to 7-9. and As a Cleveland fan since 1986, there have been some disappointments along the way. 
and an attitude of pessimism has been known to wash over me like an ugly rain. <laughs> but logic tells me this is more than a four-win team. Seven wins are possible, and I don't believe the Browns will let me down this time. After all, they never have before. <laughs> wow. End I, of statement. I do love the you're, you're making this bold, heroic statement to make them a seven-win team. Right, and they won't let you down. They'll get, they'll get six or seven wins. I have to admit, I'm getting a little emotional over here. Seven <laughs> wins would be, that would change the city. Yeah, I you understand what? that. That was a big change from four to seven. I mean, that's almost doubling it. Nobody will yeah. even think about LeBron James anymore if no, it'll the solve, Browns it'll, can finish seven and yeah. nine. It'll cover many sins if that happens. Of course, I have them going to the playoffs, so... They might throw a parade for me if I'm. I can't go that, that far. Pick. So if you want the uh, updated standings, Mark is updated. So the uh, the rest of the division makes sense. We're actually writing out a division preview for each one of these teams, and that's up on around the league right now. So we'll have our AFC South written preview up on Tuesday. And as Greg pointed out, and he's he he's asked all of us at the ATL team to make sure when we make these record picks that everything evens out in a 500 record. So. This is not easy. Just We're not throwing records around. We want to have this to be a balanced, correct prediction. Right, because the first time you do it and you just go and you estimate it, you inevit- we all did this exercise, you inevitably have way too many teams over 500. Because you just want to be nice. You don't want to be too harsh. You don't want to give the Jaguars you know, only two or three wins, but we have to be fair. You have to go out and predict flat-out disaster for a couple clubs. Yes. All right. So, okay. So let's get going. We got the week two preseason now is in the books after tonight. Um, But through the weekend, we covered the Thursday games in the last podcast. But what did you guys take out of this weekend? And we'll start with Greg. I think EJ Manuel and Buffalo just having another performance that impressed. And this time it was more impressive. Um, Just running the hurry up. They're, They're a fun team to watch. Again, Kevin Cobb was exactly as bad as you would have expected. So that just ended whatever competition there was there. And it just it made me a little more excited to watch Manuel and, and this Bills team this year. And you just hope uh, that he's going to be ready for week one. They announced after uh, the game the following day that he has a, a knee injury and his status for week one's uncertain. But I think if he's healthy enough to play, he'll be the starter. It's kind of a shame, too, because the feeling you got on Friday was this was a done deal you know, all Kevin Cobb had left now was just his concession speech. But now, improbably, there's a chance that this Cobb is going to start week one. You hope it doesn't happen, though, because the Bills need that fresh start, and, you know, Manuel would help give it to them. You know? That was such a brutal quarterbacking game. Cobb and Christian Ponder took turns just backing up 15 yards away from the line of scrimmage and just throwing the ball uh, terribly under pressure. And, by the way, the Vikings have looked awful this preseason off. Just throwing that out there. Well, Ponder especially. Yeah. Wes, what was your big takeaway? Well, I often find the preseason to be valueless, but my one thing I look forward to is watching rookies who I think can really have an impact, take the league by storm, and even affect division races. I saw one this weekend in Eddie Lacy. Uh, The Packers now have a running back. Even if they have a bad offensive line, what was most impressive about Lacy is we know him as a big back. He can break tackles. He was making the first defender miss in the backfield and then breaking tackles. We didn't see any Packers running backs do that last week. And Lacey looks to me like a, a young Steven Jackson or even a more quick-footed Jerome Bettis. I think he's the real deal. I thought the same thing with Jackson. I even remember writing that down in my notebook. Like They thought about getting Steven Jackson actually this offseason, the Packers, and I, I agree. It was impressive how he got to the outside, too. He's not just an inside runner. Does anyone benefit more, I think, than Aaron Rodgers, too? Because 
I, I, you know, the Packers were so potent throwing the ball last couple seasons, but still it was like teams knew exactly what was coming. And now you have to finally respect that run game because if you don't, Lacey is not a guy who goes down after the first hit. He seems to be breaking tackles left and right. He's overpowering smaller defensive backs. It was cool to see in Green Bay. It seems like what Packers football should be. And we didn't know what their rotation was going to be going into camp, and I think we know now. It's probably going to be Lacey 1, Harris 2, as long as he's healthy, and Jonathan Franklin, who's been a a disappointment, probably number 3. It seems like a long time ago that people were starting to pump up Jonathan Franklin at Lacey's expense, but it certainly isn't shaping up that way now. Well, let me just add one thing. Lacey was impressive enough, and then if you add Dewan Harris's change of pace, I am making the Packers my favorite in the NFC just based on what I saw from that game. Wow, off a Hmm. preseason game. Well, I mean, there's other factors. I mean, Percy Harvin's gone from the Seahawks. The 49ers have injury problems. And the Falcons, I'm just – you may have convinced me that they were a little bit lucky last year. I I don't like when people are jumping on my predictions. The Packers are my (laughs) NFC team this year. Yours alone. All right, Sessler, what do you have for a takeaway? Well, I also don't want to overjudge the preseason, but I was concerned uh, with what I saw from – the New York Jets defense, and you know, I talked. Oh, come on, no, I talked with Dan over the weekend, <laughs> and he is tired of the piling on the Jets on the offensive side of the ball. And I'm not going to do that. But what concerns me is because what we keep hearing over and over is, oh, this Rex Ryan turning his focus to defense is going to bring the Jets back to what they've always been. But you know what I saw was the Jaguars of all teams with Blaine Gabbert running a hurry up offense, and the Jets looking like they had never encountered a hurry-up offense in their lives. They couldn't get the right guys on the field. They looked confused. There was, it, it was like the, the Jaguars just had their way to two straight drives. The final score doesn't show that, but they scored early with the Jacksonville offense. And it's like, of all teams, you've got the Patriots in your division. You think that you would have been built defensively to attack, understand the hurry-up years ago, and they just looked completely lost to me. And it's, I think it was Rich Samini that basically said, this is the blueprint of how to shred the, de- the Jets on defense. You're seeing it right here. It seems all a little premature, though. A lot of teams don't have their stuff together in week two of the preseason. Well, it was their starters. Still, I mean, and you bring up starters. Uh, one, If I had to take away something from the Jets, it would be D. Milner, who, who struggled. And I found it notable that Cromartie... And Rex Ryan both kind of came out publicly and said, "This guy's got to play, play better." I mean, you got to remember also with Revis now gone, this is a this is a different team. They're trying to move the strength of the team to the front seven, where it used to be Cromartie and Revis. It's going to be a, a, a process making them a strong unit. I know this is a it's the preseason spot for you. I agree with Dan. It's the preseason. Well, uh, and, and Greg is a total Jets defense apologist. I understand that, <laughs> but it's like I just I'm saying I went in thinking. Yeah, this Jets defense is the strength of this team. It's the reason they could go 8-8, eight and eight, and they looked completely lost. I just think there's a lot of ways, a lot of reasons to get down on Rex Ryan, and a lot of them are deserved. But I think on defense, he deserves the benefit of the doubt. I, uh, I hate to gang up on Mark for the second straight <laughs> podcast, but if we say last week that, we, that our trust in Rex Ryan defensively is implicit, then we can't really kill him for one bad showing in a preseason game. Plus, that was Blaine Gabbert's Super Bowl. Week, week two of the preseason <laughs> is where Blaine Gabbert shines. He's where, it's where he gets everyone excited. Fair enough. It's what I saw, and it concerned. I'm, I'm not actually flaming the Jets. I'm just saying it concerned me. I would just say get, that, get another prepared statement ready for week six <laughs> when the Jets are 4-2 and two and flying on defense. All right. Dan um, has been doing drugs this morning. <laughs> um, okay, so, and my takeaway would be it, also the AFC East, Dustin Keller, suffers a terrible knee injury, um, which really bummed me out as as a Jets fan. 
um, knowing what this guy's ability was, if he ever got a chance to be in a system that was, you know, good. And now who knows what you get. And then from a team standpoint, the Dolphins, he was a guy that was showing good rapport with Tannehill. And now, and now what for the Dolphins? I think it was the biggest story in terms of having an impact on a team winning and losing of the of the weekend. Just because I thought he was going to lead the team in, in targets and catches. And, and they haven't had a pass or catching tight end for so long, and, and now they still don't. It's right up there with losing. Honestly, like Mike Wallace was the big name offseason addition, but it was Keller, I think, that would have changed this offense a lot and really been like a safety blanket for Tannehill. And there's just no way. They're trying to find guys to replace him right now, and I just don't think you can. Charles Clay, step on up. How about Michael Agnew, last year's Hard Knocks uh, disaster? <laughs> Deion Sims. Deion Sims. Uh, yeah, good luck with that. Although Tannehill and Wallace uh, looked pretty good in that game. So They'll be fine. There's too much hand-wringing over that connection. Mike Wallace is one of the maybe two or three difference makers who got signed in free agency. I think it's going to be He'll tough be for that offense to be explosive, though, in general, to be a, a plus offense. Talent is talent, and Mike Wallace has it. I'm, I'm actually surprised, Greg, that you're saying they might not be explosive with your boy, Ryan Tannehill, behind the controls. Well, I, I think it's the type of thing. He'll play well. He'll kind of be like a early career Joe Flacco, where it, he'll play well, but the, it's not going to show up with great, great numbers. How ah, the early period Joe Flacco. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, so, fellas, our award-winning – Division previews is up next. Now, we haven't won an award yet, but <laughs> we could uh, possibly eventually win an award. We handled the AFC East and the AFC North. Today is the AFC South. So as we've done, we're going to have a, each, each of us will ask a question for each of the teams. And Greg Rosenthal, I will open it up with you and the Tennessee Titans. Yeah, my question for the Titans, because I, I have a hard time figuring this team out, is why should I believe this team is going to be any good? I know that's kind of a big question, but <laughs> I, I can't come up with the one, two, three reasons. This just It's kind of a team that's you know, in the weeds, you don't hear a lot about. And What are the reasons to be excited about this Titans team? I'll, I'll make this case. And uh, you know, I agree with Sheck that this is kind of the one team with the biggest range of outcomes. They could be 10-6, and six, maybe 11-5 and five if they get lucky in an Indianapolis Colts 2012 kind of way. They could also be four and twelve or five and eleven. I mean, I think we start with the offensive line. We knew they were a good pass blocking offensive line last year. They overhauled the entire interior, bring in Levitre, who is Pro Bowl caliber, Chance Womack, uh, and in center they've got three or four guys there who can play. So you start with the offensive line. They're, it's a massive upgrade. They get to a running game. Chris Johnson was boomer bust. They bring in Sean Green, who can move the chains and sustain and, and convert short yardage. They'll be a lot more consistent, won't have to rely as much on Locker. And when they do rely on Locker, now you've got uh, 2012 first-round pick in Kendall Wright, 2013 second-round pick in Justin Hunter to go with Kenny Britt. You've got a lot of ifs there, but there's talent. It, it, you know, They're a little bit enigmatic there. And on a defense, you've got some interesting young linebackers. They upgraded the defensive line. I don't know that they're a, even a top 20 defense, but the talent on offense is intriguing enough to me that they could make some noise. I would just – now you, you hit on a lot of different items there. The one I'd pick out, though, is I like watching their first couple games, the offensive line does look much improved from last season. I think Johnson was just running scared last year. He couldn't even – he had no trust that he could even get protected well. I think they've changed the offense to some degree to fit Locker a little bit better than what we saw before. But I like, I like what I saw in Warmack in the last game, and I, I do think he's going to be a keeper there. And 
that can change a team a lot if you're protecting your quarterback and opening holes for Chris Johnson. And I'll take a page out of the Damashek and If L book, <laughs> and you have you do have all those points that that West just made. What if what if Bud Adams was able to su- successfully acquire Peyton Manning last year? I mean that this this type of team that has a lot of weapons, you just need a guy who can operate them on offense, but. Very interesting. I don't know if uh, Locker is that guy. My my NF my what if is what if Bud Adams fires this whole coaching staff halfway through this season, which I could totally I've, see happen. I might be less <laughs> impressed with this coaching staff than any in the league. Jerry Gray is never the guy you want running your defense. Actually, Greg Williams, if you wanted to make a case for the Titans, maybe he'll help. There's help an X them factor because I don't I don't have a lot of faith in a Jerry Gray run defense. Are we supposed to trust Munchak after he decided it was a good idea to hire Chris Palmer to run his offense? There you go. <laughs> All right, Wes, off that dynamic statement, (laughs) I want you to give us the Houston Texans. Okay, my question involves Arian Foster is now just trailing red flags behind him. (laughs) He's got the calf strain that all of a sudden became a back injury and into his legs. Uh, His yards per carry is dwindling. His yards per catch just cratered last year. He's had heavy workloads. Uh, The offensive line is kind of a mess now. This is a offense that is based on the run and play action. Please convince me the Texans can run the ball this year. Mm-hmm. So you're not buying Michael Fabiano's number one overall ranking well, for Arian Foster, you have, I'm guessing. You have overheard Fab, Fabs and I <laughs> shouting back and forth about that for a couple of months now that you can't take Arian Foster well, in, over Peterson. in Fabiano's defense, that has since been modified uh, yes. after the ca- uh, calf strain turned into the back injury. But yeah, there, there's. I think that I would not. If you want to talk fantasy, I would not touch Arian Foster um, with a first round pick. Somebody else will. It won't be me. But from a, a Texan standpoint, yeah, this guy was the engine of this offense. And then if you look behind them, you have Ben Tate, who had injury issues last year. And then there's really nothing else behind them. So uh, they could be in a very bad situation. Well, on the right side of their line has got question marks for sure. And Dan and I, on our uh, co-owned fantasy football team, which was last year named Jenna Fisher. Yes. <laughs> this we, year uh, will be Allison Bree. Yes. We, we fell more than once for Ben Tate as a later fantasy pick. And what I found so maddening about him was that we would chronically sit him, and then he'd blow up and have one <laughs> yes. of his... It wasn't so much last year, but the year before. He'd step in and blow up, and we'd start him the next week thinking the same thing would happen, and he'd go utterly go ship quiet. So it, I, I think that if he had a more expanded role, which I think we're going to see, that they have to give him a bigger role this year. But is he even consistent? I just I don't know. I think I, the Texans, I share Wes's concern on that front. The argument to be made with Foster is that it's more about the system. And the system wasn't very good last year. They weren't opening up holes, but maybe they can rebound there and they'll find the next Arian Foster. Or they'll just let Wade Phillips and that defense kind of carry the day like they did last season. And you have Cushing there, who they're saying is moving great. Uh, you put him there with Watt. That, that's a, and if Ed Reed ever gets back, I mean, there, there's the guts of a really good defense, potentially. And I do buy that. Uh, Arian Foster is a good back, or was a very good back two years ago. I buy that it's a system, and I buy that Ben Tate can rush for 1,200 yards if he's made the starter. Arian Foster deleted his Twitter account. And that was so that, disappointing. That's kind of when the trouble started. Just <laughs> Maybe Just it's saying. time to bring back Arian Foster's ponderous Twitter account. Um, I will let me hit the Jags. Um, uh, you know, we talked a little bit about Blaine Gabbert, and you know they're going to sit him for the rest of the preseason. He has this thumb injury, or he hit the thumb on the helmet. 
but uh, they came out and they said he's going to be the starter week one. Is this the right move? <laughs> Nobody even wants to answer because it's a hard one to answer. I'll, uh, I don't understand how two weeks after he throws for 19 yards and averages less than two <laughs> yards per attempt. The Gabbard zone? The, yeah, the Gabbard. Now, like, uh, my Twitter page was one in 100% agreement that Gabbard should be the starter instead of Henny. Just because of one good preseason game, I, I guess I am uh, skeptical. I think the team is skeptical, and I think that what they're doing is, first of all, I, we're going to see both these quarterbacks this season, but you've got Gabbert, and you've got a GM that probably has already decided his where he's going with what will be the top five pick in April. I don't think there's any long-term commitment to Gabbert, so it almost doesn't matter. Why not give him one more chance? I do think the one upside is that he's been in, he's in his third offense, which is not good for him, but they're shaping that offense, from what I'm hearing, to kind of fit what he did in college a little bit more, a little bit more to his skills, which wasn't the case before. But even what? Malarkey, in, was it in the middle of the summer, Malarkey, no longer with the Jaguars, said, if I had to choose today, no way do I start Gabbert. I start Henny. Yeah. You know, Jed Fish is a first-time offensive coordinator, so maybe he brings some new ideas to the table. And, you know, you talked about the Jets' defense not being ready for the hurry-up, but the flip side of that was the the Jaguars, like you said, played to Gabbert's strengths. The ball was coming out of his hand. I mean, he is not a good quarterback when he holds the ball too long. So this is all three five-step drops. It kind of looked like he was at Missouri getting rid of the ball, short passes. I mean, it was fine. That's probably the best that they can do with him, and, and maybe they'll be – that sort of hurry up team and make the best with what they have. Like we're searching for positives. That's um, <laughs> that's smart of them. That's what the Dolphins did with Tannehill last year, and that's what the Redskins really did with RG three. Quick decisions, get the ball out fast, and they only have to make one read. Malarkey well, seems like one of those old school NFL coaches that he's got his system, and he he thinks there's a certain NFL way to do things, and it wasn't going to work with Blaine Gabbert, and he was just trying to make it work. It wasn't going to happen. All right, Mark, the Colts. All right, my question, I don't know if you asked, a, did you ask even ask a question there? Or did we just meddle in said, the conversation? I said, is okay. it a good idea for with Blaine Cabernet? My question the with the Colts, because what I hear over and over is, you know, oh, they overachieved last year. They were on this sort of uh, spiritual ride. Everything went right, and there's no way <laughs> they go 11-5 and five again. So my question is, if they aren't going to go 11-5, and five, if we don't believe this, what's the number one reason they can't get back to that record? Now, if you disagree and you think they can, give me the reason they can. I disagree, and it's because of schedule and luck. Not the quarterback luck, but randomness, chance. Uh, I believe they went on like a 9-2 and two stretch last year where right. they didn't beat a single team over 500, and most of the teams were well below. They, they, that stretch was a who's who of the worst teams in the league. That's not going to happen again. And Andrew Luck, I believe, broke the record with seven come-from-behind victories. That's not going to happen again. As much as I love Andrew Luck, and I think he's – I've I've already written that he's a Hall of Famer <laughs> and gotten killed for writing that, but <laughs> I totally believe in him, but I don't believe the Colts are going to be as lucky or face as soft of a schedule. I, I don't think they're going to get that same level of luck, but I also don't think they need it as much. I, I think this might be, and we can get into it later with the division uh, record breakdown, this might be the worst division in the league. And, yeah. and I, I kind of can see the Colts not necessarily being a powerhouse, but certainly being good enough to get to 10 or 11 wins and be the division champion here. I think the argument against the Colts are all the pieces on defense being new uh, that they're counting on. I mean, think about, you know, LeBron Landry's there now. You know, maybe maybe he helps, maybe he doesn't. You have guys starting like Jarrell Freeman. Uh, you brought in Ricky Jean-Francois. 
You bring in Greg Toller. I mean, you're just bringing in all these defensive players that, you know, the defense really wasn't that good last year, and it's a whole group that's full of question marks. I think the argument for the Colts is just that Andrew Luck is so good that it doesn't matter, that he is like Peyton Manning early in his career who was on some flawed Colts teams that would just get them to the playoffs. Is Andrew Luck potentially going to be the level of quarterback where his team is just a contender every year? It doesn't matter what's around him. Yeah, I look at them as an example of a team that record won't be the same, but they're going to be a better football team than what they were a season ago. And I actually think, you know, Wes just talked about uh, shaping an offense around RG3 or shaping, we talked about shaping one around Gabbard. I think Pep Hamilton is actually a good uh, switch for Luck because as, as much as I liked what Arians did last season, I think that was probably one of the reasons that uh, Luck had some of the interceptions he did and took some of the hits he did. They have fixed that offensive line to some degree, but I don't see them going 11-5. and five. Yeah, he's so fun to watch, Luck, too. Like Last night against the Giants, Again, it's week two of the preseason. I know it means a lot to you, Mark. It does not mean as much to me, but they were, he led that team on three straight scoring drives. And just his ability, he looks like a 10-year pro in the pocket, his ability to move around, feel pressure, and he can move much better than he gets credit for. And, you know, I, I just think he's the total package. And the team is not a perfect team, but he's pretty close to a perfect quarterback to me, and I think that's enough to make them a playoff team. For, for that skill set, he might be the best quarterback in the league already. I mean – Certainly in the top couple, and I mean in terms of avoiding pressure and buying time in the pocket. Oh, he's it's uncanny how savvy he is in the pocket. Yeah. Okay. So let's now we've gone we've gone through the four questions. Now let's go records for each team, and we'll start with the great Mark Sessler. All right. I start up top with the. I this is reluctant on my part, but I go Texans eleven and five. Reluctant, and then you give them eleven wins. Yeah. I just I I <laughs> could see them taking. A disastrous turn, but eleven and five for the Texans. Colts eight and eight. Uh, Titans six and ten. Jaguars four and twelve. All right, Wes. I have uh, the same exact uh, thing for the first two teams. I have Texans eleven and five. Call to vote for the defense. Colts mm-hmm. eight and eight. I believe, as Mark said, they can be a better team with a worse record. Uh, Titans seven nine. Jaguars three and thirteen. So, so Andrew Luck's in the Hall of Fame, and they're they're not winning more than eight games. They can't repeat the luck that they had last year. <laughs> um, okay, I have the Col- I I do think Luck and Luck and Luck will uh, prevail, and the Colts will go eleven and five. They'll win the division. Texans, and a lot of this does have to goes into some of my concerns about Foster and the depth there. They're going to go eight and eight. They're going to drop. Titans, they're not going to pull together. Six and ten, and Jags three and thirteen. Oof. Um, I agree with Dan. He's right. The Colts are going to win this division, and I think Andrew Luck's just going to be that good. If you if your quarterback is that good, I think you'll find a way to win 10 games. Plus, this is a bad division, so I think they can win a lot of the games in the divisions. I have the Texans falling out of the playoffs to 9-7, and seven, although I, I do want to say I'm, I'm more excited to watch J.J. Watt this season than I think I've been like more excited about watching any defensive player in any season. So that should be fun. Titans at 5-11. and 11. I just don't think the defensive roster especially is, is very good at all. And the Jaguars at 3-13 and 13 battling the Oakland Raiders. Not to give anything away, but battling the Oakland Raiders for the, <laughs> the clowny Major race. reveal. Yeah. Um, okay, so that, that wraps up another edition of the ATL Podcast. On Wednesday, we will hit the AFC West. A lot of people are excited about that. 
Uh, buzz. And buzz. A lot of buzz. And if anything happens tonight with the Steelers and Skins, we'll touch on that and then any other news. So uh, until next time. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you.